Welcome to The Light Show at Victory Church Grand Prairie. We pray these testimonies build your faith, strengthen your heart, and help magnify the presence of God who is with you right now through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. The Light Show is also available to watch on YouTube. Just search for Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for regular encouragement in your walk with the Lord. And now, let there be light. And today, first up, first up to bat, Derek and Laura Casey are willing to take the seat. So would you welcome Derek and Laura? We're super excited about this, this way of telling the story. So uh, just for those who are catching up on what it is we're doing, the idea is that we're telling the Jesus stories in our lives because that is one of the most effective ways for people to experience who God is, who Jesus is. Lots of times we have, um, you know, evangelistic approaches that are like, this is the scripture verses. Here's the, here's the structure. Here's the belief system. But it's more than a belief system. It's a relationship. And we know that. And so we want to share the stories of relationship. We want to share the stories of who Jesus is to us. One of the scriptures that, as we've been talking about living in the light, Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, we are the walking testimony, which is encouraging and intimidating and all of this stuff. It's like, it's supposed to be, if you see me, you get to see a measure of Jesus. You get to see a measure of who he is and what his character and what his nature is. And sometimes I think if we're not aware of that, we can just live the careless lives and we, we can get a little bit sloppy. Um, but when we're aware that we're a living testimony, we're a walking testimony, it changes how we do things and it changes how we engage with people and it changes the conversations that we have. And one of the scriptures that's been um, kind of going over in my heart since we've been talking about doing this uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. And uh, in the NIV it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So that's really what we're talking about. To simply give a reason for the hope that you have. Give a reason for why you believe what you believe. Give a reason. So... It was either Derek and Laura say yes to this, or we were spontaneously going to go through the congregation and just ask people, the Bible says, give a reason for the hope that is within you. Be ready at any moment. But they were kind to everybody. They were kind to the rest of us. And so we're going to let them give their reason, tell their story. But we all want to be thinking about, if I was asked, like, why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in Jesus? Why do I think it's important to be here on a Sunday morning? Why do I read the Bible? Why do I serve? Why, what is my why for God? Can I give an answer? Can I give a reason? So um, today as we get into this, we're going to pry into your you know, inner life <laughs> deeply. And, <laughs> not really. We're going we're gonna to be kind. It's going to be nice. But um, Derek and Laura, I think it's uh, what's very interesting about their story, we've all got different ways of engaging God and a, a different ways of sharing our testimony. And so for some people, there's like a, I was this way and then I became this way. You know, like 
Saul to Paul was kind of like that. I was this way and then I wasn't. I was some, somewhere else. Um, but there was others, like the other disciples, most of them had a progressive journey. And like Peter, for instance, by the time Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He had come to this, he had like walked the walk, experienced some things, and he just had this formed thing on the inside of him. You're the Messiah. Like, and it was, it was his life. And I feel like um, with Derek and Laura, this is kind of your story is that you do have some very big God things, but you also have this progressive relationship with God that plays out in your personal lives, your marriage, your family. Introduce yourselves a little bit for those who don't know you. Tell us something that we need to know about who you are. What do you want us to know? Well, that's quite an intro. Thank you. <laughs> and for most of that, I wasn't sure that you were talking about us, but now that <laughs> we're sitting here, I, I guess you are. And yeah, I us, am. So. You, you are, yeah. And in some ways, uh, you know, my story is a bit of a Saul Paul story, and I shared this with you, how there was a period growing up in Sexsmith where I terrorized the Peace River Bible Institute, and they know this, it's okay. Uh, and less than two years later, the Lord sent me there as a student. So I, I this while, is true. while there is an evolution of, of growing up Christian and becoming more Christian, uh, there was a there was a dramatic transformation, but yeah, I do want to identify one thing quickly, which is, which is that Matthew verse that you mentioned. It's just remarkable. Everything from the songs that the worship team sang today that were just, yep. that were just like confirmation of stuff that we had gone through when, when we were trying to figure out like, you know, why us? You know, what are we going to share to add value? But Laura... We, Near the end of worship, Laura grabs this, um, this list of questions you gave us, and it's got the Matthew verse on it. And it's incredible because it was the verse. She goes, Derek, isn't this the verse that we prayed over our home huh? when we moved into our new place? So we used to live in Mission Estates, which is um, virtually snobs bill behind, <laughs> behind Starbucks. And we sold that house because uh, we decided it was time to downsize because, you know, we... We had four young adults, and, um, and our house sold a bit suddenly, and we, we basically had this opportunity to say, if we could live anywhere in town, where would we live? And we said, I had felt like I want to live in the center of the city. We want to be, be accessible and hospitable, and want people to be able to find us, right? So we drove virtually to the center of the city, and we, we knocked on a door, and we said, this is going to seem weird, but we want to buy your house. And she said, well, I don't live here. I rent. And so I phoned, I called the lawyer and, and he pulled the title and we found out who the, who the owner was. And she lived in Swanhaven. We went to her place and I said, same conversation. This is going to seem weird, but I want to buy your house. Uh, so long story short, we end up buying it um, significantly overpriced. But we buy this, <laughs> we buy this property and we, and we prayed this you know, because it is a property on a hill. Yes, it's on the top of the creek bank, the center of the city, between the college and the park, uh, high visibility, high accessibility. And um, one of the first things we did was pray over the land. And so uh, we took the kids and we walked around the property and we prayed over the land. And, um, and this little red-headed kid, we, we, um, <laughs> we uh, stood, stood in front of where the existing house was and held hands and we prayed. And we opened our eyes and this little red-headed kid uh, he looked up at us and he goes, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, fast forward to today, that's, that's the mayor of Grand Prairie's son. 
Wow. And um, it's just remarkable, you know, we, we don't know yet, you know, what, what the, uh, the product of, of, that, of that call and that the heart's desire to land there was and whether or not we've, you know, been a light on a hill or, or, or had impact. But um, that, yes. yeah. that little redhead kid has been in our life for five years now. And uh, mm. um, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to to have him over and have them over. And we, we love Jackie and Rob. And I'm not doing this for a political yeah. plug, but... <laughs> Uh, but you have people over all the time. Yeah. Like your house is full a lot. You are very purposeful about being open and having open hearts. And um, I think we've got pictures of your family. There you are. That's, that's the starting point and the most recent product, I think, that we saw for group pictures. But that's their amazing family for awesome young adults that you have raised. And we've got to see them grow up in this house. When you met, when you came like when you met each other, obviously it was fireworks and stars and all the good stuff. But you came from quite different um, kind of backgrounds, but you felt like God called you together. And you've been very purposeful in how you have engaged life since then. And it's been this series of Jesus um, decisions. But can you just share a little bit where you came up? You both sort of grew up in church. So I grew up in... I'm Born in Saskatchewan, and then we moved to um, Leduc, and that's where I grew up. So from kind of grade two on, my dad was a pastor, and um, my mom was always very involved in ministry. So children ministry was our family was very immersed in church, and I love my family. We have a I just love my parents. They're wonderful. They're here. They just moved back, and um, I. Yeah, I kind of just grew up there, going to church. Um, I, from a young age, worked a lot. Like, I kind of was fairly independent. And I would say I was a good kid. <laughs> I've always had, like, a very um, high moral compass. So my friends really mattered to me. I loved, and I, just friends from all walks of life. So mostly that didn't go to church. But I um, loved them, and I loved people, and um, and I worked hard, and I was pretty, like I would say, kind of independent yeah. from early on. But um, also involved in the church as much as my family was. So you are a PK. You grew up in the church, yeah. And you actually love God, and you love the church, yeah. <laughs> which is a my great parents, testimony. My parents would always say, Laura, I think you have the gift of faith because I just I. I remember my siblings sitting with my dad for hours talking theology, and I was like, I cannot do that. Like, it just was not really who I was, and I just was like, I don't have big questions. Like, I just, I know God loves me. I love God. I know he exists. I, like, it, it there weren't things that were blocks for me, I would say, in that way. And then, Derek, your, your journey's a little different. Like you say, you were the guy that did the burnouts in PRBI, Hockey yeah. and whatever. So you were, you were that kid that some of the people listening and watching are, are praying for their own children right now. Yeah. But you started out in God, and you are walking firmly with him now. But your, your early birth story, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that, like, you started... Um, 
kind of in covenant. And what I thought was interesting, even this morning, like you mentioned about the songs that were sung, um, I don't know if you could see all the little kids that were at the front that yeah. were just drawn oh, to the sure. front. I'm like, there is a family anointing in the house today. There's a family anointing on you guys. There's a family anointing on your story. And that starts right from the beginning for you. So Laura's thing is brought up by a family that loves the Lord. You're, you were brought up by a family that loves the Lord as well, but from a different kind of starting point. So take us there. Yeah, yeah. if we rewind all the way back, and I know I'll get emotional here. I've never told this story uh, publicly. I've, I've shared it with people. And, um, you know, I've been asked to, to share this story. And what's interesting is I've, I've, um, I've done some research since to see if I can validate the story, and Laura had, had said to me, you know, what is, what is the motive? Like, why do you need to validate the story? And I, and I said, because I, I've only been told it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily true, because actually, you know, this exercise, thinking about and talking about and sharing your story with the church, it just reveals so much about um, the, what's truly going on in your life. Yeah. And so, you know, I... I found myself phoning, phoning hospitals and trying to get birth records. Anyway, back up because now I don't make any sense. But when I was, uh, when I was born, uh, I was born in Grand Prairie. And actually, I told my kids that we were all born in the same hospital. But it turns out that it's not the case. I didn't realize the QE2 wasn't around when I was born. I think at that time, women just dropped babies in the dirt. But um, no, it was an older hospital, I think. But when I, when I was the youngest of three, my dad came from out east. Uh, he was from New Brunswick, and he came out here for work. My mom was um, young when they were married. Uh, it's, it's something I would not let my children do, by any means. <laughs> my dad was 34. My mom was 17 when they were married. That's the sound I made. Um, <laughs> And I was, uh, I was the third born, and actually I was born, I, I make this joke that I was, I was born with an IUD in my hand because, um, <laughs> because my mom, and for those of you who don't know what an IUD is, and I don't know how much information I should give, but <laughs> essentially it was my parents' way of saying we don't want any more kids. Uh, it is a contraceptive, it, it is a birth control, and, and it didn't work. Um, and so I came out. IUD in hand, but actually at my birth, um, there were birth complications, and when I came out, I was, uh, I was blue. I was oxygen deprived, and, uh, and um, it was pretty severe. Like, um, my, the doctor basically said to my parents, we've, we've flown your child to Edmonton. Uh, if he makes it, he will be he will be severely disabled and handicapped. Yeah. Which your mom, 17 years old. So I was baby three, so she was oh, probably 20. 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's big, that's big news to get yeah. as a young adult. So I go to Edmonton, and my dad had grown up Catholic in his family, but my, his mother-in-law, my mom's mom, was, you know, a charismatic, Bible-believing, you know, um, Pentecostal, yeah. you know. And, uh, and so when my dad was given that news that it was time to sort of go home and prepare the house to raise a disabled child, um, he, he went to the men's bathroom 
And uh, he got down, he got down on his knees and he said, God, if you give me this baby back, I'll give him to you. And, uh, and my dad quit drinking and smoking cold turkey that day. Wow. And um, he committed to <clears throat> bringing our family to church. And he did that all the way until we moved out. Wow. And it, it, was, it became this story. So, I mean, obviously, I'm here. I'm not completely mentally functioning, but... <laughs> You know that the story ends with um, a miracle. A miracle. My mom, my dad phones the hospital. Uh, he has in-laws that live in Edmonton. He, sorry, he has relatives. He has uh, siblings and cousins that live in Edmonton. He says, can you go and, can you go and see Derek? Can you check on him? And, and can you see how he's doing? And, and then he phones the hospital and they said, we don't know what else to say except that he, he is completely healthy, functioning, and fine. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So this became the way dad introduced me for years and years and years. And it was, it was remarkably embarrassing because he would introduce me as the miracle baby. I'm 12, 13, 14 years old. And I'm thinking like, you know, this is really, this is really mostly embarrassing because when you, when you go through this, when you go through really big things in life, yeah. they're big things then. And when you go through new things, those become a bit of the past. Yeah. But when I, when I learned about covenant, when I, under, when I understood what covenant meant, that covenant, covenant was an agreement both ways. It was two ways. It wasn't just yeah. a promise. It was a covenant. Yeah. You know, dad didn't know it was a covenant. I don't think he would have described it that way. He just was making a deal with yeah. God. He says, if you give him to me, I'll give him to you. Whatever that looks like. Wow. I'll take him to church and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll you know, I'll, I'll surrender whatever. But I learned, after I learned about covenant, I learned that actually that was dad's, that was dad's testimony. Yeah. And I couldn't take that from him. His, his story was the story of, of, of yeah. my birth. And so my dad's salvation, which I, which I've, I mentioned to you, Pastor, and I find funny is that my, my birth story lands almost exactly, I don't know if Pastor Paul's listening, but I think it lands exactly on Pastor Paul's salvation day mm -hmm. because I was, um, September 12th, 1979. I know you think I'm a 90s baby, but 1979. <laughs> and Pastor Paul, I think, often references like September 15th, sort of in yeah. that area as, as, as his, you know, the day he came to Christ. So Yeah. So you, you are a walking testimony. Did you feel pressured by that? Like as a young person, as a teenager, whatever, did you feel pressured that I should be something? I should... No, I don't think so. I think for me, um, I think early it was just it was just survival for me. Like that yeah. was just that was just a story because I didn't live with any of the symptoms, right? right. And so for me, that was just like something Dad told to people. Uh, I don't think it really started to impact me until uh, you know I became an adult and, and started having my own kids, and I realized that this can't all be for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, like what did God spare me for? And yeah. You know, we'll discuss this a little bit further, but then it really got me thinking about, uh, I need to dial into purpose. Yeah. I need to dial into, you know, what am I here for? What are my gifts? And, and um, how do I impact? Yeah, hugely. So I, like, I think that that's very interesting. I think sometimes the, there's the crossover, like you say, that was your dad's commitment. That was his covenant with yeah. God. But then when we step up as adults, we have to make our own commitment. We have to make our own covenant before God. And so 
you know, I know Laura um, kind of walked a f- relatively straight path. You deviated a little bit. One of your stories that I love is the, as you were maybe not walking as close to the line as you could have been, um, you know, some of the friends that you had that were Christian, Christian kids in school that actually were still friends, that still managed to, they were friendly towards yeah. you. I think that's a big part of it because sometimes we like write people off. It's like you're with God or you're not with God or whatever. But you know what? You had been dedicated to the Lord. So um, the path is bumpy at times, but. Yeah, I, I, ran, I ran into a friend at a volleyball game with my sons recently. And, and I said to him, I said, Laura, this is, this is a, a guy I went to high school with who treated me well. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I was, I grew up Christian. Uh, you know, we went to every charismatic church and tent meeting from here to Timbuktu, literally. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I joke that I was saved uh, 13 times every summer camp, <laughs> you know. Um, but I was, I was known to be a Christian, but I was known to hang out with a partying crowd. And so there were, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not sure necessarily how, you know, people are going to receive this, but, th- you know, there were some there were some judgy Christians that I went to, to high school with, but there were actually some remarkably kind Christians mm-hmm. that, um, and I'll say this, not only, not only you know, showed Christ's love as a non-conforming Christian in high school, um, but when I did go to PRBI, some of those same Christian friends from the high school um, funded my school that year. Isn't that amazing? Much, much, of, much of my tuition was funded by those students that I went to high school with who yeah. were like, this guy's a Christian. You can't tell from the outside. <laughs> but we know you. Yeah. 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 Which is a huge thing. Like, I think that that comes down to identity. It comes down to who God says we are and what gets locked in in the spirit, right? And yeah. um, that journey along the way, as we go through the different circumstances of life, he always keeps pulling us back to who he says that we are. And I love that. I love how... You know, when we read Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like there's a plan, there's a purpose. How Paul said, I was called from my mother's womb. And Jeremiah was called from the mother's womb. Like there's callings, there's things about who we are that even if it doesn't look like it in the moment, God knows who he says we are. And so the the people around us get to speak into that. They get to sow into our lives, which I know you guys are purposeful about um, in how you sow into other people's lives. But just before we get into that, Laura, you also had your, your story, um, the accident that you had in high school. Laura is also a, literally a walking miracle. <laughs> Tell us about that. Okay. Well, when I, so mom and dad moved here in grade 12. So then I lived in Leduc. I wanted to stay and graduate with my friends. So I lived with a family, and, but me and eight girlfriends were headed on spring break to Banff. And um, we were in a Bronco. And we had stopped at a gas station, and I said to my friend, I'll switch you spots, because I knew her seatbelt worked and mine didn't. And um, then I was like, "Just you just buckle up, I'm fine. And we started driving, and within like two minutes, um, the vehicle hit slush on the road, and we just started rolling. And they found me 50 feet away from the vehicle, and... Um, you know, I was out of it for quite a while, but when I came to, I couldn't like feel much. And then they, it was about an hour and a half for the ambulance to come and to take me. But that was when I got to the hospital and they had run tests and stuff, it was a miracle because the doctor just came in. He said, I, you, you should be dead. This is not like 
and the fracture should have been paralysis if you are not dead. And so that was a big, yeah. a big thing in my life. Like um, your neck was actually broken. Yeah. yeah. So I had a broken neck and compressed vertebrae and, you know, in, couldn't move for weeks. And then they would just flip me on the bed and um, I was in Calgary at the hospital there. Um, but that was like a big, you know, when I was even preparing for this, I was thinking, because she said, what did you think about all that? And I think in the moment, you realize like the gift of life and that you're okay. Yeah. But you, a lot of times, just like Derek's saying, you don't understand until later in life what you, what you went through and kind of how God carried you through those seasons. And so I feel like a lot of the healing and just like understanding the magnitude of that has been like a journey um, for me. But I, as I was younger, um, my family would often refer to me as the worrier and, and, um, and, you know, so I think then the accident just caused and amplified a lot of fear that I had in my own life and control, like, so it was very important for me to control certain things because, I didn't like the feeling of out of control. Like, you know, I couldn't go on really gravel roads after for quite a while because even that feeling of, you know, the drifting and stuff like that, that was a lot of, um, a lot of time of like healing and God's just like deliverance from that. And yeah, I just, that's a big part of my story, I guess. So, and then now I'm like, now I run, I work out, I like physical activity is like, yeah, one of my favorite things. So I'm so but, grateful. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, honestly, praise God for that. I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, I can't even imagine your parents getting that phone call. Yeah. Right? Like, this, this has happened. And I think, um, you know, two major things that can happen when you have, both of you guys have had these, like, your life was spared kind of moments. And sometimes people can park on that. And it was like, I had a tragedy and this becomes what I'm known for. Like, this is, this is my thing. This is my claim to fame. This is what I'm known for. And it's, it's almost a limitation. Like, it's almost like it creates a box, which you have not chosen to do. It, you've walked out of the box with the Lord. I think the other thing that is interesting is that we say stupid things sometimes as Christians, and we'll say like, oh, can you imagine what God has called you for then? Like, if you spared your life, imagine what you're supposed to do. And then we put these like um, markers of, this is a quality life. This is a this is a high impact life. These are the things that if you've been spared, these are the major things that you should be doing. And what I love about your story is that, um, and not that, because you are doing big things and I think there's big things ahead, but the stuff that you've been called to do is so up close and personal. It's not like we need to run a nation. It's like, we need to lead a healthy family we need to steward our kids well. We need to sow into this generation. We need to steward our lives responsibly. We need to be what God's called us to, to be and do. And it doesn't necessarily look big and flashy. It's consistently faithful. And I love that about your story. Um, and, and Laura, you had shared a little bit, like some of the early stuff that triggered for you was when the kids were small. So you, you get married, you move into a purposeful relationship together. You know God has spared your life. But your calling, you felt called at 12 years old to be a mom. Yeah. Like that was the calling. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm like, I feel it feels so weird call, calling it a calling because it was just like so, I knew at 12 and I remember going to this event and I was like, 
I am going to be a mom and I cannot wait one day. <laughs> and that was like, and you know, I, I think my mom even sent me a note in my lunch or something after, like the day after, and she just had recognized something because we were with other families and she had recognized something in me or um, just with kids. And she kind of like called that out, but I had also known in my heart that day that God had just kind of showed me you know, and I think some some people feel called to many different things, but to me, I guess it was just like, I never really had to think about the career that I wanted because it was just like, I'm gonna be a mom. <laughs> like, yeah. Which I love that. Like this is, we've, we've talked a little bit before, like this is a generation that is desperate for family, desperate for parental input, desperate for somebody to speak into them. So the fact that God would call people to raise a family among other things, like among all the other stuff you do, but that that's of importance to him. It so matches the nature of God because he is a father. The, the Godhead is a family. The way things are set up from the beginning is a family structure. And so, um, yeah, like just let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Your guys' purposefulness, your intentionality with how you have raised your kids, um, the intentionality with how you've lived your lives and led your lives. I was thinking about... Um, We've all probably heard the story of Susanna Wesley, but Charles and John Wesley, the great evangelists, you know, founders of the Methodist movement, but their mom had 11 kids and her calling was to prayer. She felt called to prayer. So she's famous for going to her prayer closet was she put her apron over her head. And for the time when the apron was over her head, the kids were told not to bother her because this was her prayer time. And she would just like sit there, put the apron over her head for two hours and she would pray. But she raised kids that were world changers, like that were meant to break open a whole new revelation of who God is. So that was her calling, was specifically to prayer for, for whatever was around her. So I think there, there's track records of these sorts of things when God says like, you know what, so, like steward what is right in front of you, what's in your hand, do well with what's in your hand. And um, from the outside, that's what I would say and just, you know, want to honor you guys in. I think you've had, you've had this journey where you've experienced God in different ways, but you've purposefully decided to apply him, apply the principles of God, apply the principles of the word into your up close and personal life. So what does that look like for you? When we were de deciding, what do you want to talk about? It's like, man, it's just endless when we talk about parenting, because it's just, it's such a gift. We love, we feel grateful for it. And when I think about, um, thinking about our wedding and stuff, the things that drew me to Derek was... Let's hear it. <laughs> he, he was Let's so hear good it. with kids. He was so good with kids. I remember the first Sunday he came to church with me. I'm like, what? I'm going to have to fight somebody to hold the babies? <laughs> True. But that was... He just was such a natural with kids, and um, that was a big part of our life. I think sometimes from the outside, people can be like, okay, so obviously your life must just be perfect. It must have just been easy along the way. You both grew up in Christian homes. It should be just so smooth. Tell us about yeah, how yeah. it really is. Yeah, let me take that one. Um, it's a really bizarre thing. And Laura really had a problem with this saying, you know, we feel called to parent. You know, she just thinks... She sort of thinks, well, who isn't, you know, I mean, okay, if you decide to have a family, you know, you got married and you have kids, well, I, I, you want to do it well, and you, you want to have great kids, and you, you, you know, you want to do it better than your parents did it. I mean, I think I would agree that most people sort of say, you know, um, that should, be, I mean, I certainly hope my kids do it better than we did. Um, but, 
But the truth is that was part of our DNA. Like we just, you know, uh, I knew Laura loved and wanted kids. I actually wanted more kids. I would say if we didn't, if we hadn't had like four kids in two years, it felt like, <laughs> then, then I think we would have had more, right? Because, you know, it just feels like such, such madness. Except I will say this as a parent, there, there, are, there are three levels of freedom. Uh, number one is potty training. I think any parent, oh yeah, I get a lot of nod, nodding heads out there. <laughs> number two is that first, that first kid that can babysit. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like n no more of that rejection, right? When you phone and it's like, hey, are you available to babysit? And they're like, how many kids do you have? And you're like, four. And, and they're like, uh, no, I have two part-time jobs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, that, that babysitter job sort of disappeared right around, right around the time we needed yeah. babysitters. Yeah. Uh, so that second stage is, is that built-in babysitter. And then, of course, the third one is your first driver in the house. Yes. And those are the three levels of freedom. And if somebody had come to me after we had Cohen and, and said, you know what, you, you, you were going to experience some freedom and it's all going to be okay, I mean, we would have kept going. We yeah. would have doubled down, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we just loved it. We, we, yeah. we, we knew we wanted to raise a family, and, it, and in some ways it feels like a very, you know, maybe a, a selfish or a small calling, but we knew it was in our hearts. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, when it actually comes down to the intentionality, again, we struggled with this question because we don't actually think that... Um, whether it is or isn't a perception of us, we don't actually think that necessarily we've been so dialed and so focused and so intentional, except that as we discussed this and tried to figure out, like, like how do we answer these questions that Pastor Charlotte sees in us or <laughs> thinks people do? There, there certainly was a period in about 2015, I would say, where we discovered Dr. Miles Monroe. And, and Dr. Miles Monroe is... He's Mr. Vision. He is he's Mr. Mr. Purpose. And so um, you do not have to get very many pages into any of Dr. Miles Monroe's teaching to be like, you know, he talks about purpose. And I, and I wrote some of this stuff down because it's so important. Uh, he says, God is a God of purpose. God created everything with a purpose. Uh, not every purpose is known. And where the purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Yeah. And so... That revelation, you know, had a fairly immediate effect on us, and we started to be more intentional about, you know, you know, who who are we raising, right? And 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 I will say this: um, I thought we were fluking out as parents. I remember when we had Judah. So Judah's our second born. We have four kids. Maya was our firstborn. Then we had Judah about seventy-two hours later, and then we had uh, and we had Ella. Uh, and then we had Cohen, and uh, Maya means Maya means mother nurse. This is just this is just so good. <laughs> in midwife school. Yeah. <laughs> midwife school in Calgary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Judah Judah means uh, uh, praised. Ella, Ella means bright light, and Cohen means priest. And so um, when we had Judah. Judah was such an easy baby. Judah was just like, if you fed him, he was satisfied. <laughs> and, and Maya was not that way. <laughs> uh, for anybody who's had a firstborn, you know, you go through about six months of calling everything colic. Because you don't know. You just don't know why they're crying, and you don't know how to fix it, and you've watched enough Oprah to try to figure out what the cries are, but, but you're just sort of doing your best. Yeah. Judah comes along, 
and he's easy. easy. And I always said if, if we had a dozen Judas, we wouldn't stop. But then we, had, then we had Ella, and we realized, oh, wait a second, we didn't learn anything. <laughs> Judah was just easy. As we really started to, to figure out our kids, we started to really you know, dial into purpose. Um, one of the other books that was in there certainly would have been some teaching that you had from, from um, Dr. Newfeld, Gordon yeah. Newfeld. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Just the importance of um, the family unit. And, you know, as our kids get older, they're going to be pulled away in different directions with peers, with um, even other adults. Or, but the whole point is we want them to be close to us. To, um, and that really framed a lot of our parenting. And, you know, like I, as I was preparing for this a little bit and thinking about being purposeful, we had so the kids were born in four and a half years which really makes you purposeful like it you have to be a little bit organized and set and regimented and like because you have to you still want to be sane and do all of those things and and we loved it and everybody would be like that looks crazy and I'm like I guess it's just our crazy but we love it and then we um you know and this I guess this is just like part of our journey so I'll share a little bit but at, you know, things happen along the way that shake you up a little bit and stretch you as a couple, lots of things with business and other things like that have stretched us as a couple. And when Ella was a few months old, Judah started having seizures, which was very much out of my control, out of my mothering realm. Um, and it was very frightening for me. And because I'm somebody who, or I'm not anymore, so I'm not even gonna speak that, but I was somebody who struggled with fear. It was very hard for me and to not feel in control of situations. And, um, and I remember, like those, those years were very painful and I would just sit in his room with like babies, lots of babies, but in nap time I would go sit and just look at his crib to make sure I wasn't missing anything because I was so afraid of something happening when I wasn't there. But it was learning to trust the Lord in that. And, and I would just say like over the years, we had more opportunity. The Lord gives us always opportunity to trust him more, trust him more. And, and it was about the time that um, we, so my dad had moved, mom and dad had moved to the island and we felt called to go to a different church. And yeah, we um, dad's leaving, we're leaving. Yeah. Well, and so Derek had said, we're going to go check out Victory. And I was like, oh, man, this is not in my compass. <laughs> like, and, but God knew, God knew because um, it really was what we needed for our parenting in this new season. As they were getting a little bit older, we had four young kids now. And, um, you know, when you hear Pastor Paul talk about purpose, you catch that vision pretty quickly for yeah. yourself, for your children, for kind of what's next in this season. And we were needing that a little bit. And, and also it, it shook things up for me a little bit. And I described to Pastor Charlotte this, like my faith was like very the, compartmentalized maybe. Like it was this beautiful gift box. This is who Jesus is. This is how I see him. This is who he is in our family. And, and I love him. And I came here and it was like the Lord took a stick of dynamite up like inside that gift box and blew it up and was just like, Laura, you have no idea how big I am. And I want to show you. And 
I needed that in that season of life because my prayers changed. Yeah. Like my prayers for my children changed a little bit in, I started declaring the things of the Lord for my children where I, the word of God is clear in many instances and situations of who he is and what he desires for our family, for our children. And, and so my, my prayers weren't necessarily if it's your will, but Lord, this is your will and this yes. will come to fruition and believe for that. And, you know, that was um, a journey, a very painful journey, because in a lot of sense, it felt like I was starting from scratch again, because it was shaking me, um, shaking me to my core a little bit where I was like, okay, what does that look like? And what that looked like was a lot of days where I didn't know what was going on and it was like, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And when I felt out of control, I declared the name of Jesus just over and over my children. And I remember Pastor Jan meeting with me and she's like, Laura, when you, feel, when you feel that fear come on, you declare Jesus. You just, Jesus, Jesus. And Psalm 91, I would you know, read over my family in the morning and just declare those things. And yeah, and, and <laughs> also less of me, more of you, Jesus. Like that's my heart's cry. And, and, and that pulled me through a really hard season, I would say, but where I received, and then through that, I got very sick when my kids were little, where the doctors thought I, they were throwing words around like cancer and, um, other things, and I had pneumonia for, it ended up being for nine months, but I couldn't breathe. And when you can't breathe, you don't think well. <laughs> but I remember being quite fearful again for my family, for myself. And I just had this moment where I was like, um, okay, what's the worst case scenario? And, and it was like, worst case scenario was I die, but I'm in heaven. And best case scenario is I'm with my family here. And I was like, there really isn't a worst case scenario. Like it, but it had to, like it broke me in that moment because I had to get to the place where I was like, it's, you know, this is your will for our life, Jesus. And, and I have to just like rest in that and be okay with that. And, um, but I've, like, I just felt such deliverance in that season yes. of free, uh, freedom from fear. Like I could move ahead and believe for big things. And then we had this purpose, like, and like, what are, who are our kids? And how are we gonna raise them really purposefully? And that's kind of what Derek talks about. And I'll add to that, that, you know, um, what, what, we, what we ultimately found, and if there are people out there who are, who are you know, saying, you know, how, do, how do I raise kids well? And, um, th there are certainly people who are, who are gifted in this area of parenting. And what we ended up doing was, was really just looking for mentors. Um, and if it's not actual people that you can go to and say, and we did, I would argue, some of our closest friends in some ways were our mentors. We liked how they raised their family. Um, but you know, there, there are uh, preachers and teachers and authors out there that have, have lots of material 
Um, you know, Gordon Newfield was one. Uh, Bob Goff was one for us. I mean, if anyone who read Loves, Love Does, you know, we adopted, we adopted the 10-year-old adventure. One of his chapters talks about he, he takes his kids on this 10-year-old adventure. So at their birthday, you know, they blow out the candles and he says, he says, all right, we're going on an adventure. And, and the parameters of the adventure have to be it's something that makes your heart come alive. It's something we, we need to be able to do over two or three days. And, and, uh, and so we tried to adopt that, but we realized 10 was too young. Like 10, I mean, I mean, they were like, I don't know what makes my heart come alive. So we said, we'll talk to you in two years. So we called it the 12-year-old adventure. And so, you know, with Maya, for anyone who knows Maya, I mean, Maya would have been the easy one. I mean, you want to figure out what, if you want to know what Maya is interested in, passionate about, or, or where she wants to influence, just talk to her for, for 15 seconds and you'll know. Um, but she was, she was passionate about politics at that time when she was 12, and she really enjoyed French. And so we, we took her on a 12-year-old on a, a adventure where we took her to Parliament, and she went to question period. We hung out with Chris Workington for a day and you know, spent the night with him and, and got to go up into the Peace Tower. And then we took a train to Montreal and uh, got to hang out in, in, old, Mon in old Montreal. And, and we had a really great opportunity to potentially go see a U2 concert, which she declined, which I haven't forgiven her for yet. <laughs> Like we got off the train and they're like, you want some tickets? And I'm like, what are they for? And they're like, you too. And I said, well, Maya, this is your adventure. Do you want to go see you too? And she says, no, I want to go see horses. So um, <laughs> we, took, we took Judah to, uh, to Ensenada, J Judah's 12-year-old adventure. We took him to Ensenada with, with Pastor Paul. And we did some mission work there. And, and, you know, mostly that was about eating tacos. But, you know, that was, that was his adventure. Ella's was, um, she went to Waco, Texas, yeah. you know, to go to the silo, silobration down there, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and then Cohen went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, right around, his 12-year-old adventure was the very beginning of COVID. We had booked uh, an, an NBA ticket, and we wanted to go see a hockey game and then go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and um, we... We ended up picking up some scalp tickets for a uh, Maple Leafs game the first night, and the very next day, they shut down the, the NBA and the NHL. Wow. So, so we got to see one game, and then we had to come back home on, you know, with masks, and, and that was the beginning of, of COVID. Yeah. Like, I love how that, your adventures with the kids, they're completely different, which is so how God makes us. It's like his design. We all have different ways of doing things. There is no, like, here's the everything rule for everybody. But the, you know, when the word tells us to raise up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they will not depart. It's like, according to their natural bent, according to what God has put in them. And like the whole crossover of how God made you, you are now purposeful sowing that into your kids. It's going to go on and on. Not only your kids, but you have opened your hearts to their people, you know, their friends, their, like, it's, it's, you're willing to sow into as many people as want to be sown into. You see purpose in people, right? Like God has opened your eyes to see purpose in young people, purpose in this generation. Um, I feel like it's one of the things that like when we're looking at this mass of identity problems that are going on, um, schools are struggling with it, teachers are struggling with it, politicians are struggling with it. Like we don't know how to deal with this whole, what do I feel that I am? What is your view from the outside of, um, does it matter who I feel that I am? Or is it more about who does God say that I am? Because I know that one of your phrases in your house, I, I might have it wrong, but something like the word of God is our final answer or something like that was your, your phrase. But you have, you have lived a life that is like, what does God say about this? So how do we influence this generation 
in those areas. Yeah, I would, so from a young age, we would say to our kids that the world's path is pretty wide and, and everybody's going on that one. But in our family, we're gonna choose this one that's off to the side. And so I kind of, we use that a little bit to just like prepare them that if your friends are doing it, we're likely not gonna do it. Like just prepare in your heart that. And you know, I think that that is, first of all, it is God's word. That's the final answer all the time. And the Bible has principles for our family and we're going to do our best to live a life that glorifies him and lives according to those principles, not just out of, um, but that it's our, our heart yeah. too, that we understand God has good things for us and he wants good things for us and that it's motivated by our heart, yeah. not just by fear or, yeah. so you know. Good. So good. Um, uh, the phrase, the, actually the phrase in our house is actually who told you you were naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do tell. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah. You neglected that when you invited us over I for know. the interview. But <laughs> I know. I remember having this conversation with Pastor Darren when he was still here, and I said, I think I want this, I think I want this like plaque on my house that says, who told you you were naked? And he goes, can you reword it? And I was like, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> You know, and the reason why is because, you know, we, we had talked about this a little bit about identity and how important identity is. And we, it is, identity is so incredibly crucial. Yeah. If you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what a lie is. You know, it's this whole conversation when I was, when I was back in banking, they said, you know, you know, if you want to know, if you want to know if it's a counterfeit, you have to study the original. Yeah. And so, you know, um, in the garden, you know, what does God say to Adam and Eve after he finds them, after the initial sin, uh, you know, hiding? They're hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? He says, because we're naked. And God's first response to them was this, who told you you were naked? Yeah. And when I raise kids, I want them to ask that question about their identity. When they say, these are the things I feel and these are the things that are true, I'm going to say, who told you that? Who, who seeded that lie in your heart? And that has become fundamentally important for us in a world that is post-truth. Yes. And we've known that for a long time. We live in a world that is post-truth, meaning, meaning whatever's true for you is true for you, whatever's true for me, and that's fine. And we can live in this, in this puddle of jello, of, of foundationless, substanceless nothing. Yeah. And that's great, because then you can be who you are and everything you feel is right and good. Um, so identity is crucially important, but you, you referenced Proverbs 22.6, and I, I love that you identified that Proverbs 22.6 has been so powerful for us, you know, raise a child in the way that they should go, and, and, you know, when they are old, they will not depart. We live in a world where identity is no longer based on things that are real and truth. So many of us, when we think of this Proverbs verse, we would say, well, just, you know, as Christians, just raise your, kid in a, raise your family in a Christian home, and, and, uh, and they'll be Christians into adulthood, and, and those words will be written on their heart, and they'll be good adults. And I, and I think that's true. I think those are, that's fine to, if that's a misinterpretation, that's a good misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yet, what you identified is that actually raise a child in which the way they are bent, right? Which again, I think is, for us, is sort of been the next layer. It's like, well, each of our kids are different, and so they're going to, uh, you know, we're going to need to respond to their passions and dreams different, but, but we're going to have to discipline them different. And this is one of the things, you know, when you, when you ask this list of questions, you know, what, where was the God wisdom moment? I would say, when we learned to discipline our kids uniquely, we got to love them in a way that really connected with them, right? The other thing that identified was that, was that for some reason, that bedtime moment, and I will encourage, I will encourage dads with this, that bedtime moment, I, I am certain will be the richest experience that your kids will have. If dads go in and spend time with their kids, and I don't care what age, and I'm not gonna look at my kids because they're gonna rebuke me on this one a little bit because they're gonna say, where are you the last 18 months? But I know if you ask them, certainly, certainly for the girls and for some degree the boys, the richness of that experience, that was God wisdom that didn't, I know that's God wisdom, it didn't come, I don't know the verse, I can't reference the verse. But dads, if you spend time with your kids before bed, that moment, um, that moment when they're asking for your time, it's remarkably inconvenient. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong time because they're supposed to go to bed. You want to talk to me? Talk to me in the morning. You have, you have, from, you have eight to five. Um, but that was a wisdom moment. Yeah. The, the, the one last thing I, I, I think is very, very important to say is that parents matter. Yeah. Parents matter more than ever. And, and I said this to Pastor Charlotte before the service. Um, abuse aside, Abuse is a thing, I understand that. And we know hurt people hurt people. Parents need to be the safest place for children to, to confide in and communicate in. And this Proverbs 22.6, uh, Tim Dinkins, and no, I didn't make that word up, real guy, <laughs> has done an intensive study into this, and he says that this verse is not, it's not a promise, it's a warning. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because some of the interpretation, the interpretation that he found on this is that, you know, raise a child in the way that they go speaks to their will. Mm -hmm. If you raise a child and you let them, you let them, you let them raise themselves on their own will, when they were old, they will not depart from it. That's a warning. That's a warning to parents. And if there's anything that Laura and I would want to communicate today, and it struck me this morning as I prepared for this, it was that we are in a war, society is in a war against parents. And the modern progressive woke world wants to take kids away from their parents because the parents are dangerous and the parents might say something hurtful or destructive and tell them they can't be a boy Monday, a girl Tuesday, and a draft on the weekend. I'm not kidding. So, it's remarkable truth in that passage, and I appreciate, Pastor, what you touched on, and I would, and I would, I would personally, from our own experience, enhance that and say, you, you raise a child, you let a child raise themselves with their own will, they won't depart. They will, they will always be about their will. Yeah. Well, parents great. matter. Parents matter, yeah. and, and parents are important, and we, we, that's why we parent intentionally. Wow. So good. <laughs> yeah. So from our first, our first uh, gathering of the Jesus story, don't you love that God took it straight to the heart, straight to family, straight to, you know, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'm going to have the worship team come, and just as they do, 
Um, Derek, I'll put you on the spot, but can you pray over our families and parents? And we just wanna, we just wanna embrace this anointing. Some of us have adult children and we feel like, oh my gosh, I've missed it. Like it's too late. It's never too late. Like at this point, ask for the God wisdom. Ask for God for the strategies. How do we engage? How do we, how do we talk? How do we minister to them? How do we love them well? Um, but if you've got kids in your home still and, and grandparents, you have input into the next generation, we purposefully want to live kingdom principles. We purposefully want to live out that love relationship that God has for us and go after identity. The thing that God says, who he says we are, we want to honor that in our homes and in our relationships. So let's just, uh, let's just stand together and we're going to pray into families for a moment here. Yeah, God. God, we thank you for the places that you're clear with us, God. God, we thank you for, God, the things that you communicate to us through your word. What a gift it is, God, to have your personal journal available to us in our homes, God, where you say, be fruitful and multiply. God, where you remind us that children are arrows in the quiver of a man and a woman, a mom, a dad. God, I thank you that you love families. God, I thank you that you have done nothing by accident. I thank you that you're a God of purpose. God, I thank you that your, your purpose is sometimes unknown. And Lord, I pray that we would not abuse the things that you've given us because we don't understand its purpose. I thank you, God, that even though Lord, you allow us to live a life of free will. You passionately want us to do what is good for us. And God, as moms and dads, there are so many times where we look at our kids and we say, if you only do the things that we ask you to do, it's for your own good. God, every time I've said to my kids, just please do it the way I want to because it's for your own good, I see you smiling because I know that what you're saying is true for me as well. You're just saying, I have a plan. It's written out and if you spend time with me, I'll tell you, we can work it out, we can talk about it and we can sort out what that specific vision is for you. But I want what's good for you, I have what's best for you. I want you to live a life that is full and impactful and not for me, not, not, for, not for you, but for me, for the, for the glory of God. And so, Lord, I pray for moms and dads in this room, Lord. I, I pray, God, that dads would not provoke their children to anger, Lord. <laughs> God, I just pray that, that moms would surrender the fear that they would, they would trust you, Lord, that they would know that the health of their kids and the future of the kids and the spouses of their kids. And God, I pray for spouses. I pray for the spouses of our kids right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that you are handpicking somebody that loves you and understands our kids and their quirks and their, and their, and their idiosyncrasies, Lord. And I just pray, God, for, for the unity of marriage, for the oneness of marriage. I pray that that spouse that you've handpicked for our kids, God, 
that they have a likeness of mind and a likeness of purpose and a likeness of spirit. God, we know that we know that we know that opposites attract God, but similarities stay together. And so those people whose vision is clear and united, they're not distracted by fights and quarrels and they move forward with one clear purpose. I pray a blessing on the parents. I pray, pray a blessing, God, over the kids of this church. I thank you that this church has been faithful in, in uh, being fruitful and multiplying, Lord. And I just ask, God, that we'd be light and salt. God, that we would impact the world, that we'd be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And I thank you, God, that everything that we surrender opens up the capacity, Lord, for you to use us. Rejoice, God, in who you are, your character, your goodness, your presence, and your passionate, passionate desire to just be with your kids. Thank you, Father God, that you're the Father. Thank you, Jesus, the sacrifice and the surrender and the capacity for everybody in this room to live on this side of the cross. Thanks again for tuning in to The Light Show. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or want to support this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the promptings. If you're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, we'd love if you'd come and join us there. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Light Show. Remember, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony.